morning, Evangel. It's a good day, yeah? <laughs> you got to give it some enthusiasm because this is all the voice I have, okay? One, two, three. It's a... There you go. And it is a good day. And if I can say it, you can say it. Because both Jeff and I have been flat on our back sick all week long. And we are here and we're saying it's a good day. So if we say it's a good day, I'm telling you... It's a good day, and you could say, and thank you to whoever put cough candies up here on this table for me this morning. It's been uh, quite a week um, in our household, and so I'm laughing, going, yeah, it's a good thing that the small group is canceled tonight. Nobody wants to be in the germ fest that is raging in our home. But uh, it's, it's a good day. It has been a good week. And now, today, we're finishing up um, our 40 days of prayer that we've been doing. And I just want to recap a little bit. And bring us up to speed and let you know where we're going in, before the end of this service. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna to beginning, middle, end. So beginning was we, we started the year 2017 with um, a month of Bible reading, daily Bible reading. We're really trying to get you in the habit of, of having scripture in your lives every single day. And, and we did it in community and we gave you all kinds of tools and we, we participated together in a Facebook group and all these kinds of practical things to try to help you to make sure that you got scripture in your life every single day day. We, we even revolved our Sundays around some of the scriptures that we had read. And so we did that for a month because we think it's important to develop a habit of reading the Bible as a follower of Jesus. Yes? Yes. Good point, Pastor Patty. That's very good. You should say that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So then after we finished the month of Bible reading, we decided we were going to go into 40 days of prayer because not only Bible reading, but prayer is a really important foundation for a follower of Jesus. It's awfully hard to be a follower of Jesus and not actually ever talk to him and not ever actually talk to God. And we said that there's lots of Christians out there today, not in this church, in other places, who talk about praying and who say they're going to pray and who take classes about praying and who worry and call it praying, but they don't actually pray. There's a lot of Christians today that don't actually pray. And I know this because when you get your nerve up, you come and tell me. <laughs> and some of you have been around for a long time and, and you, you still don't feel like you know how to pray. You don't feel like your prayer matters and you, you feel like it's, you struggle to get into the habit of praying. And I, I just want you to know, I just feel like that's such a tragedy because if I was, if I was trying to derail a Christian, if I wanted to take a Christian, a follower of Jesus and get them off track and, and not functioning well, as a follower of Jesus, I would try to convince them that prayer doesn't work. And I would try to convince them that they don't know how to pray and they're not praying good enough. And I would try to convince them that when they pray, nobody's listening anyway and it's not really doing anything. And I would try to do that because I know how important prayer is. It's huge. Also a good point, Pastor Patty. Well said. Thank you. I appreciate that. Prayer really matters. Prayer is an important thing. And so we've, we've offered you all kinds of tools. And we said at the beginning of this 40 days of prayer that some of you were going to look at me and go, I, don't, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. I can't pray. And I said, yes, you can. Remember that? Yes, you can. Turn to the person beside you and go, yes, you can. Do it in that nice nurturing tone of voice. Give them a little smile. Go, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And we've given you tools and we have practiced it and we've worked on it. You've had daily prayers that you could do. We've had um, time together on Sunday mornings, praying together in small groups. We had a prayer meeting last Sunday night that was just awesome. And we've been working all this through. And so, yes, you can. Yes, you do know how to pray. And we're going to pray again today. Okay. Now, the other thing that I say, I think I said this out loud at the beginning of this series was I, I referenced something that helped me learn how to pray. And I, I wanted to just expand that a little bit for you this morning. Um, I grew up 
in, in church. I was practically born in church and, and spent my whole you know, childhood, teenage years. I, I've always been part of a church. And so when I was a church, in church, when I was a church, when I was in church <laughs> as a child, a long, long, long time ago, before I was a redhead, long, long time ago when I was in church, in, in, in the olden days, people used to go to church twice on Sundays. Does anyone here remember that? Okay. We used to go to church twice on Sundays. I know, it's crazy. You would go Sunday morning and you would go Sunday night. And here's how it went. You would go, you would go Sunday morning to church, Sunday school, and then, and then church in the, in the service like this. And then you would go home because there was a roast beef dinner in the oven. Always. I don't know why. There's a roast beef dinner in the oven. And then you had a nap. Everybody had to have a nap on Sunday afternoon. And then you came back to church. And you had a nap because, number one, it's a day of rest. And number two, you're going to be going to church at night. And Sunday's a school night. So, right? So we were forced to take naps on Sunday afternoons. And still to this day, I love a good Sunday afternoon nap. And so we would go back to church on Sunday nights. And often on Sunday nights, there would be this phrase that would be used. You're just going to have to bear with me as I go, folks, okay? I got water and there's a cough candy in my mouth and still this happens. So on Sunday nights, there would be this phrase that would be used that wouldn't be used on Sunday mornings. And the phrase would be, we're going to turn this room into a prayer room. Has anybody ever heard that phrase when they were in church? Okay? We're going to turn. Now, you didn't do that on Sunday mornings because on Sunday mornings, the roast beef is in the oven. And so you can't ask people to stay longer because the beef's going to burn and it messes with the nap and it's just everything gets messed up and it's all, it all falls apart. But Sunday night, Sunday night, you had a little bit more freedom of time. And so on Sunday night, you would have, you would have worship like we just did and you'd have a little bit of speaking like, like we're doing right now. And then, and then there would be, you kind of close the service and then they would say, we're going to turn this room into a prayer room. And people would, get this, pray. They would just stay in the sanctuary, and they would pray. And some of them, there'd be some quiet music that would come on to just help. And some people would turn around where they were, and they would kneel in their seats. And some people would stand, and some people would walk around, and some people would pray together in little groups, and some people would pray all by themselves, and some people would go to some of the ministry team and receive prayer and anointing oil for them. And and, and there would be, and little kids like me, we just fell asleep. That's what we did. (laughs) And then when I got older... I didn't fall asleep so much anymore. I stayed. And sometimes my friends stayed too as a teenager. And we would stay and we learned how to pray. And we learned how to pray together and we learned how to just spend an extra few minutes just praying and being in God's presence. So we're going to do that today and I wanted you to know that up front. Now, if you have a roast beef in the oven, don't panic, okay? Don't panic. It's going to be okay. First of all, send me the leftovers. And second of all, we, we usually aim to have this service today done by 1225, and it's still going to be, okay? I'm just going to stop speaking earlier, and, and, and we're going to give you about 10 minutes at the end, which still fits within the normal time frame of the service, where, where we're going to turn this room into a prayer room, and we're going to pray together. Now you go, Patty, what if I want to pray longer than that? You're allowed. <laughs> we'll stay, and you can. Just don't leave your children downstairs with a teacher till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Okay, go pick your kids up on time. Bring them back in and you can pray. But, but that's what we're going to do. So I just want you to know that there won't be an official dismissal. We'll sort of walk you through it and you'll know. And when the time comes, when you're done praying, you could just leave. And you can go to the Connect Cafe and connect with people. But it's all just part of learning to pray. Are we good with that? 
Now you know what's going to happen. Okay, but first, we want to look at some scripture. Now we're going to look at the book of Isaiah today, and, and at Isaiah the prophet, which is in the Old Testament in your Bibles. And the Old Testament is the part of the Bible in the first half that is before Jesus came. And so we're going to look in the words at the words of Isaiah, who was a prophet, Isaiah the prophet. Now, before we can look at those words, is we're going to look at a prayer of his. And before we do that, I need to give you a really big, really brief overview of history, of, of the history that happened leading up to his prayer. Because if you don't know uh, what the history is, then you're not going to know what on earth he's talking about when he prays, okay? And so I want to, I want to, allow you to do that. So I'm just going to, let's just pause at this moment. Hold out your hands. Just go, God, would you help me to hear you today? Just whisper that prayer. God, would you help me to hear you today? Let it sink into our hearts and then teach us to pray, God, in Jesus' name. So, so if we go all the way back, so Isaiah is the words, the guy whose words we're going to be looking at today. But, but we're going to go back in this bit, really big, really brief historical overview to Abraham. Hands up if you've heard of Abraham. Yay. Okay. So Abraham, centuries before, and he's the father of Israel. And God had formed a covenant with Abraham saying, you are going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And, and, and those descendants of yours, those people, they're going to be my people. And the whole world is going to be blessed through them. And God makes this promise to Abraham, this covenant to Abraham, that, that Abraham's descendants are going to be God's people, and he is going to be their God. So I want you to say that with me. They are going to be who? God's people, and he is going to be their God. And it's this covenant promise. Now, a whole lot of history has happened since God made that promise to Abraham. And so all kinds of centuries have gone by. So during that time, um, God, Abraham, he has this son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob. So when you hear of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's three generations. And then it, Jacob has 12 sons. And those 12 sons eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going through time at top speed right now, okay? And so uh, Jacob and his 12 sons and their families, they all uh, go to Egypt at one point, and, and through a series of circumstances, they end up becoming enslaved in Egypt. And they become slaves in Egypt for about 300 years, and it's awful. And there, there's terrible suffering, and, and terrible hardship, and terrible oppression, and, and they're slaves there, and they cry out to God. And God remembers his promise and says, those are my people, and I am their God. And so God sends Moses. Hands up if you've heard of Moses. There we go. See how it all ties together, right? And so Moses comes along, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh's the king of Egypt, let my people go. And you may have seen the movie or whatever. You've heard about the ten plagues, and there's this, this whole series of miraculous events that lead to Abraham's descendants, God's people, being set free, being brought out of Egypt by Moses. And, and they, one of the miracles that happens, and I just want you to remember this because we're going to reference it later, is they come up to the Red Sea and they can't, they can't swim. And so Moses stretches out his, his staff over top of it and the waters roll back and they walk across on dry land. It's this huge miracle in their history because it's their God. This is the one who's doing this for them. And so, so then they, they wander around the desert for about 40 years. And then they move into the land, the promised land that God had promised to Abraham, 
way back before, centuries before. And, and they go into this place and they slowly, they build it up and they clear the land and the nations, uh, the tribes come together and form a nation and, and there's kings, a whole bunch of kings. And, and I've just given you the really, really short version. And the longer version, if you read it, you'll see things get really ugly, okay? In the history of, of Israel, things get really ugly. And all the way through the story, there's this, this thread that goes through of this covenant promise that God made with Abraham. Your people, your descendants will be my people, and I will be their God, and I won't leave them. And there's this covenant and this promise of God's faithfulness, and this thread goes all the way through of this covenant. But the problem is God's people are really bad at holding up their end of the covenant. And so, so there's this sort of spiritual roller coaster that goes on through the whole Old Testament of seeing Israel where they're up here and they're worshiping God and they're following God and they're doing everything God says and, and things are great. And then, right? And they start following other gods and they start worshiping idols and they start doing really unspeakable things. And then judgment comes or consequences come and they repent and they cry out to God and woo, we're up here again. Now we're worshiping God and, and then down again. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. And when they're down in those low moments and it, it's really gotten to a point by Isaiah's time, they're, it's bad. That's when, that's when the prophets come. Because the prophets, they're the ones that come along that God sends. They're people that God sends to warn Israel, to warn God's people you guys are messing up. You're, you're out of line. You're sinning. And you're, you're losing God's protection. You're losing God's favor. And, and it's the prophets who call the people to come back to God. They call the people to come back and to repent. Isaiah is one of those prophets. Okay, you with me so far? So Isaiah is one of these prophets. Now, it's hard to be a prophet. In the Old Testament, when you're a prophet, it's really hard because you tend to be... Um, Excuse me. You tend to be following God when most of the people around you aren't. And, and your calling is to point that out to them. Fun job, right? Good times. And so, so your calling is to warn them of how bad things are going to get. And when they say things are already bad, you go, no, it's, it's not that bad. It's going to get worse because God's removing his favor and all. And you plead with them. Your job is to plead with them to repent and to plead with them to come back, to return to their God. And to be a prophet in the Old Testament means you're usually going to get ridiculed. You're usually going to get ignored. And you're usually going to get seriously persecuted for your trouble. So, and at the same time, these Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and some of the other ones, they carry this deep spiritual weight for their people. They, they carry this weight of, of God's heart for his people and, and looking at, at God's people that are just, they're just out there, not doing what they're, what, not living as they're supposed to be doing. And there's this grief at the broken relationship between God's people and God. And the prophets are the ones, you, you can see that they carry the weight of that. They carry it. They're not just standing on a street corner casually going, hey, you know, you should repent. They're just weeping and grieving over everything that has gone wrong in this initial prov- uh, promise that God made to Abraham. So, Isaiah, who we're going to be looking at today, he has been doing what he's called to do. And, and he sees what's coming for God's people. And they've, they've already been invaded. They're already being taken over by another nation. And, and, and it's going to get worse. And he knows it's going to get worse. And it's not, it's not good because they're just nowhere near following God. And he knows it's going to get bad and he can't stop it. And so 
this, this, what we're going to look at in Isaiah today is actually um, a prayer of his in the middle of all of this in Isaiah chapter 63. And it's, it's part prayer and part lament. You know, when you're in a good place, your prayers are really polished and beautiful and just with lovely beginnings and ends. And when you're in a desperate place, they're just, they're just messy and desperate. This is one of those, okay? And so it's what we're going to look at today before we turn this room into a prayer room, okay? Here we go. Isaiah chapter 63. This is Isaiah talking, praying, lamenting. I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. He said, God said, they are my very own people. Surely they will not betray me again. And he became their savior. In all their suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. And in these verses, he's probably referencing that time in Egypt. Back in Egypt, when God looked at them and said, those are my people and they're suffering and I'm going to be their savior and I'm going to bring them out. Isaiah says that God, God felt their suffering and he carried their suffering and he carried them and helped them and did all the things that they needed to do to get them out of there. Verse 10, but they rebelled against him. And grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. And then they remembered those days of old. (laughs) Then they remembered those days of old when Moses led his people out of Egypt. And they cried out, where is the one who brought Israel through the sea with Moses as their shepherd? Where is the God? who sent his Holy Spirit to be among his people? Where is the God whose power was displayed when Moses lifted up his hand? The one who divided the sea before them, making himself famous forever. Where is the God who led them through the bottom of the sea? You know, the Red Sea when the water... They were like fine stallions racing through the desert, never stumbling. And as with cattle going down into a peaceful valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest... You led your people, Lord, and you gained a magnificent reputation. And Isaiah is saying that people remembered God in the midst of their desperate time and went, where is God anyway? And of course, the answer to that, when the people are going, where's the God that did all this wonderful stuff in the past? The answer that Isaiah is trying to get across is, well, he's, he's still here. He's where he's always been. You walked away, Isaiah says to his people. Isaiah said in his prayer that that God is the one who led them out of Egypt. God is the one who led them through the desert. God is the one who brought them into the land that he promised to give them through Abraham. He never left them. He never broke his covenant promise to be their God. And he never broke his covenant promise that they would be his people. And Isaiah knows this as he's praying. And he, he knows the patterns. He knows the spiritual roller coaster, everything that's happened until now. He knows where his people went wrong. And he just bursts out in this prayer. And he's 
begging God. He's begging God for mercy for his people. And he's begging for compassion for them. And he's begging God to help them anyway, even though they're so far off track. And even though they're so messed up, because that's what prophets do. They carry the heart of God and they grieve with God at what has gone wrong. And this is, he just bursts out and he says, Lord, look down from heaven. Look from your holy, glorious home and see us. Where is the passion and might that you used to show on our behalf? Where are your mercy and compassion now? And then then Isaiah looks back, way back, centuries back to that moment when God had made this promise to Abraham of of that Abraham's descendants would be God's people. And, And Isaiah prays, surely God, Surely, you're still our father. Even if, even if Abraham and Jacob disowned us, Lord, you would still be our father. You're, you're our redeemer from ages past. Can you hear the hearts cry in there? God, you're, you're still our God, right? And we're still, we're still your people, Right, God? Verse 17. Lord, why have you allowed us to turn from your path? Why have you given us stubborn hearts so we no longer fear you? Return and help us, for we're your servants, the tribes that are your special possession. How briefly your holy people possessed your holy place, and now our enemies have destroyed it. And listen to this. Sometimes, God, it seems as though we never belonged to you. As though we had never been known as your people. Awful, right? You can hear almost this sense of of hopelessness and despair in Isaiah's voice as he's praying this. Because he has not only this knowledge that his people have walked away from God. And they just haven't held up their end of the covenant at all. But he just gets, starts to get hit with this feeling that maybe it's too late. And, and, and maybe, maybe they never did really belong to God. Maybe it's too late to come back. Or maybe, maybe it was just never real in the first place because it's just been so long since any of them really connected with God at all. And Isaiah, to his credit, keeps praying. And it, it turns into this what I can only call a desperate prayer of faith. Chapter 64. Oh God, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble and then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, God, You did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good and who follow godly ways. This desperate prayer of faith. And then Isaiah just flat out owns the truth. And he owns um, how God's people have been living. 
but you've been very angry with us, for we're not godly. We're constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display even our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. And yet, even then, no one calls on your name. No one prays or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you've turned away from us, and you've turned us over to our sins. And it's so, it's so bewildering. It's so messed up. These people are just, they're lost and they're suffering and they're looking and so desperate for God. And yet, even then, not asking God for help. And Isaiah prays all of this. And then he turns it back to God, all of it back to God. And he says, and yet, oh Lord, (laughs) you are our father. We're the clay. You are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. Please don't be angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. It is so powerful, and it's so humble. And and I don't know about you, but it, it leaves me a little bit breathless reading this prayer that Isaiah prays. And, and I was working this week on this scripture, and I, I was going through it, and I was, I was trying to make it palatable. I was trying to make it okay, you know, to come in on Sunday morning and go, well, here's the scripture and let me just tie it up nicely for you and let me make it nice. And, and that's not good. And, and once I realized that I stopped, because I'm never okay with trying to make God's word okay for us. That's backwards. And so I went back to it again and I made myself just ask, and I, I actually wrote the words brutally honest. I made myself ask, if I asked Isaiah, what was this about? And just let him be brutally honest. What would he say? And and here's what I came up with. I thought Isaiah would probably say that he's desperately remembering who God has been. And he's totally owning that they have sinned and that they have rebelled, that God's people have sinned and rebelled and and that God helped them anyway. And, And Isaiah, I think, would say that he's desperately pleading for mercy based on who God is. Because he's their father, said he would be their God, and that wouldn't end. And then he's daring to, to ask God to come and do it again. Do what he did before again. So, how does that impact us today? 40 days of prayer. Wrapping up our 40 days of prayer. Well, here's, here's what I want to offer you just before we turn this prayer into a prayer, this room into a prayer room, I'm going to offer you four things. And maybe, maybe there'll be a guide for you as you pray. Maybe they'll be helpful. Maybe God has something else for you to pray, and that's okay. But, but here's what I want you to hear today. You ready? Number one, there are times that we need to remember who God has been in our lives. There are times We need to remember who God has been in our lives. And it involves deliberately, intentionally looking back. Looking back past the current circumstances that we're in and reminding ourselves of where God brought us from. And reminding ourselves of what it is that God has already done for us. 
and, and remembering how we connected with God in the first place and what the prayers are that he's already answered and the things that he's already done for us and the ways that he has guided us in his life. Isaiah started off this prayer by saying, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I, I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness. Do you think he said that because he was in the mood to? No. Not when you read the rest of the prayer. He was not in the mood to. He was in a desperate place. He was in a tough place. And I think we've seen that. But he started his prayer that way with saying, I will, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love because he chose to. And he said, I will praise the Lord because he is good because it needed to be said. And he prayed, I will say what God has done because it was true and because he needed to remember it was true and it would build his own faith to remember who God was. Listen, one of the best things that we can do sometimes in prayer or when we're in a desperate place is to go back and intentionally remember intentionally who God has been in our lives in the past. It's going to build our faith when we remember what God has done and who he's been. And there are times we need to remember who God has been in our lives. Number two, hold up two fingers. Patty didn't make us hold up one. It's okay. There are times that we need to own that we have sinned. And we need to own that we have rebelled. And, and we need to understand that we are in so in need of God's mercy. Listen, can we just, can we just own it? Can, can we just get honest? Can we just say that, you know, uh, could you imagine if, if all of us, me too, had little bubbles over our heads that said all the stuff that we struggle with or all the stuff that we've done wrong, even just this week, or the, the things that, that we've messed up on that we don't feel very proud of and all that. Can you imagine if we had little bubbles all the way across the sanctuary over me, over the worship team, over all of us just saying, hey, this is what's wrong. Uh, lies over here. Um, sexual immorality over here. Uh, greed and selfishness. Apathy. Um, pride. Arrogance. Um, gossip. Uh, division judging other people, being really judgmental, um, abusive behavior, manipulative behavior. That's the kind of stuff that we might see. All that. Now, most of us, we would clear out of here so fast because we wouldn't want anybody to see what's written in the bubble over our own heads. We would get out of here. Let's say, can we, just, can we just be honest about it? Can we just be honest and own that all of us are in desperate need of God's grace? Me too. And, and we, we, we each of us needs it. None of us is perfect. And, and yet, we all have good days, and we try really hard, and, and you're really nice people. I can vouch for that, and I'm lovely. I'm delightful. But we're not perfect. Can we say that out loud? We're not perfect. Can we own that? It's not enough. And we know it, and there are times that we just need to own that, and we need to own that we are in desperate need of God's mercy and God's help. Number three. There are times when we need to trust that mercy. And we need to grab on to that mercy that God offers. We need to grab on to the mercy of a God who is our father. And he's a good father. He's not an abusive father. He's not an absent father. He's not a manipulative or domineering father. He's a good, good father. 
And we need to trust the mercy of our good, good father and not let condemnation start overtaking conviction in our lives. And you go, Patty, what are you talking about? Listen, I jumped to this really quickly because can I just tell you, the devil really messes with our heads. And by the way, we also mess with our own heads and blame the devil. So either way, our heads get messed with fairly frequently. And, and when we own that we have sinned, when we actually own it and say, God, no holds barred. I'm saying it right out loud. I am in need of God's mercy. God gives us mercy. That's the end of the story. And, and I know that it's the most terrifying thing in the world. I know that when there's something that God's putting his finger on, there is something, it's, it's so terrifying to, to go up to the edge. You feel like you're walking up to the edge of a cliff. And, and if you say out loud and you own that this is what I'm dealing with in my life and this is what I'm struggling with, that if I own it, it's going to be like jumping off the edge of that cliff and I'm going to fall and I don't know what's going to happen. And I want you to know that when, when we walk up to the edge of that cliff and we own it, And we go, God, I am in desperate need of your mercy. And we step off. God goes, I got you. Just like that. I got you. You're safe. All you had to do was step off. And because his mercy is guaranteed. And our brains get messed with, whether it's from some other source or from ourselves. But our brains go, yeah, you better own your sin and you better own it again. And then you better own it again. And we beat ourselves up and we get beat up and we get, we get beaten down and we get told over and over again in our heads, you're not good enough. It's too, it doesn't matter what you do. You haven't cried hard enough. You haven't um, paid the price high enough. You haven't done enough good things to make up. And you're just a really, really terrible, terrible person. And we think that's God. That is not God. That is not God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive them. End of story. God's mercy is guaranteed. There's a difference between conviction from God and condemnation. Condemnation puts you into fear and puts you into shame and puts you into this dark place where you can't find the way out. And it just seems like you cry and you, and you work harder and harder to get out. It doesn't matter how much you beg for help. You can't get out of there. That's condemnation. That is not God. Conviction. God's conviction. It's this invitation. Just own it, Patty. Just own what I'm putting my finger on. Own that you've messed up. Own where the sin is. Say it right out loud. Don't be afraid to. And the second that we confess it, he goes, I got you. And he forgives. And he gives mercy. Because he already knows. And he's not shocked. And he has promised that he will forgive. And now we've got something authentic going on and something real going on where I'm not trying to pretend I'm fine in front of my God. I've said what he already knows and he's forgiven it. And now we can actually get somewhere and he makes us clean again. There are times we need to trust God's mercy. We need to grab it and hold on to it and not let it go. And number four, and then from that place, from that place, From that place of humbleness and trust and faith, we ask God, oh God, would you come and do again what you did before? Would you come and and do what you've done for others? Would you do that in my life? God, would you come and do the things that I've heard you can do, but I haven't seen it? Would you come and do that? 
God, what you did in the past, the miracles that you did, all that you would burst from the heavens and come down. The how the mountains would quake in your presence. God, when you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, God, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. And we just pray, God, would you do it again? So we're going to turn this room into a prayer room. It's quarter after 12 right now, so we still have 10 minutes before the normal ending of the service. And you can stay longer than that if you want to. And I'm going to tell you how it's going to look a little bit, but really it's going to be up to you. I'm going to go back there to the keys, and I'm going to just play some quiet music to just help us. And I'm going to invite you to take some time to pray. And you might want to pray through some of those things that we just talked about. You might want to pray about something else. And you might want to stay where you are, sitting. You might want to turn around and kneel in the place that you're in. You might want to come to the front because it's a little bit separate. And pray up there. You might want to stand. You might want to walk around. You might want to, I don't know, you might want to get together with other people that you know and pray together. Or you might want to just pray on your own. We have uh, some of our pastors and our ministry team are spreading out right now. They have anointing oil so that if you want to be um, prayed for and you want someone to anoint you with oil, you can go to one of them. If you are going to pray for someone, I'm just asking two things. Number one, that they ask you. And number two, that you're somebody that's part of this church regularly because we want to keep it safe for everybody. And at times I may break in and I may just say, hey, why don't you pray this or why don't you pray that? And you go, Patty, I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You've been doing it for 40 days. And if you're not sure what to pray, well, then just listen and let God speak to you during this next 10 minutes. If you feel like maybe you should be praying for something, I'll tell you what, you can pray what I'm going to be praying. Because I have been praying and begging God God, tonight at the Watoto concert, God, the next four weeks as we go into this person, its personal series, I am truly asking with all my heart, God, would you let people connect with Jesus? Would you let people meet you for the first time or people for the first time in a long time? Would you let people come back and meet God? Would you open their hearts and help them to hear you? So if you don't know what to pray, pray that. That's what I'm praying. So God, as we turn this room into a prayer room, we're not going to officially dismiss. We're just going to take our time and we're going to pray until we're done. When we're done, then we'll just quietly walk out and leave others that are here still praying. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into this place and I welcome you into our hearts. I welcome you into our minds and I pray, oh God, that you would show us, just like you showed the disciples, how to pray. Come, oh God. Just go ahead and begin to pray. Worship you, God. If you want to receive prayer, go to one of the people that's holding oil. If you want to pray together with somebody that you know, feel free to do that. If you want to turn around in your seat, 
kneel on the floor, you could do that. If you want to walk and pace, you could do that. But this room is now a prayer room. It's just holy space. If you're not sure what to do, start by going back. Remember who God has been in your life. just quiet our hearts and our souls. Some of us are panicking right now. Pour in that peace that says, I'm here. Bring our thoughts and minds into line with yours. Help us to hear you and help us to just pray back in response to you, God. That's all. you have stuff that's on your hearts right now and you're trying to push it out of the way because you think, oh, you know, that's not really holy. Might as well just talk to God about it. Might be him that's telling you to go ahead and pray about that. Talk to him. need to build up our own faith. So God, remind us of who you have been in our lives in the past. If we can't think of anything, then remind us of who you were in our parents' lives or our grandparents' lives or people around us that that have been in it longer than we have. Remind us, God, and dare us to hope that you could be that God for us too. I will tell of God's unfailing love. I will say out loud the things that he has done. Come on, people, build up your faith. Build up your own faith by remembering what God has done and who he has been for you. What you've heard about him. And ask him to do that for you again, right here, now. of us are right on the edge of that cliff and on one side we just hear this just 
you know, the this thing just saying you're not good enough and you never will be. And yet God at the same time is saying, trust me. Just own it. I got you. I got you. I won't let you fall. You're my people. I'm your God. Just trust me. Some of us need to take that step and just trust God's mercy. God, I'm going to own what you're putting your finger on. I'm going to own that I've messed up, that I'm not what I think I am, that I, you know, all that stuff. And I'm going to ask you, God, to forgive me. And I'm going to say to you again, Lord, I'm coming back to you and I'm going to repent. And I'm going to trust your mercy. I'm going to trust your mercy is big enough. And now we got something authentic going on. Now we got something real. from that place, God, in humility and in tentative faith and in courageous trust. We say, God, would you come? Would you do it again? All the stuff that we've heard that you've done in the past, would you do that again? Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down how the mountains would quake in your presence, how this city would quake in your presence. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds, God, beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. Go ahead and dare to pray what's on your heart. this space as a prayer room and I know what time it is so feel free to leave when you need to leave there's no judgment I promise if you have kids down in the prayer room don't leave them down there with the teachers go grab them bring them back in here they're welcome to pray we'll stay as long as we want to today and pray pour out your spirit pour your spirit pour out your spirit on us pour out your spirit pour out your spirit pour out your spirit on us 
pray for Watoto tonight, the concert. Pray for the things that are in our hearts. God, pour out your spirit. the God that you've been in the past. Be the God who was and is and is to come. Be the God that we have heard about. That huge, miraculous, all-powerful God that makes mountains quake and cities change. That God that changes the situations that seem so impossible. The God that, that reaches out and says, those are my people. And I'll be their savior. Be that God again, oh Lord. And call us back to you. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you. God, I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you,
Thank you. 